Curiously Polar with Chris Marquardt and Mario Aguarona. A wonderful good morning uh, or good afternoon or good night whenever you're listening to this. This is Curiously Polar. My name is Chris Marquardt and of course, as always, I have with me Mario Aguarone. Hi, Mario. Hi, Chris. How are you doing? I'm doing just wonderful. I, I actually returned um, from a long week up in the Arctic, in Lofoten. Well, just quite... I think it's about about 150 kilometers above the Arctic Circle. So it's just in the Arctic. But it's a beautiful place. Have you been up there? Yeah, I mean, the... Uh you, the Lofoten is a, is a is a great place, and I've uh, I've been several times there. And uh, last year I was uh, flying over the Lofoten doing a, an aerial survey for marine mammals. Awesome! And uh, I mean, from the land, from my, what I knew before, from being on 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 the ground, and from looking at it from the air, it's one of the most wonderful places in it- the world. It is Monica and I. We um, we both kind of love the the landscape. It's these, it's the mountains coming straight out of the water. <laughs> it's this weird, extreme mixture of of landscape features. It's wonderful, and the food, yeah. and the people, and everything. Yes, exactly. And uh, if you one one curious uh, thing about um, about the Lofoten is uh, is connected to art. And if you uh, if you look at the uh, at the paintings that were made uh, by uh, by visiting artists and there are quite a lot of, of german uh, painters that came up to the lofoten um in the in the 1800s and early 1900s and if you look at these paintings and you haven't been there you would think that they were hallucinating as you're saying like the mountains that come straight out of the sea and the light and everything and once you've been there and you've experienced the uh, <laughs> the, the the actual atmosphere and the light and the yeah. uh, and your breath breathe the uh, the air that you <laughs> breathe out there you really realize that they were not hallucinating at all but they were they were masters are reproducing these it's a sensations. it's a mind-boggling landscape mm-hmm. um the the water around it everything is just mm-hmm. it's just a little bit magic i i understand why it is uh, so popular for some yeah. people um, you've also been up in the Arctic. Well, you live in the Arctic, but you've been even higher up in the Arctic since we last recorded. You have been to Svalbard. Yes, I've been uh, again to Svalbard. And um, like you, I've been, uh, people say that uh, that I've been uh, contaged by the uh, uh, the Arctic uh, bacillum. You've bitten by the virus. <laughs> <laughs> I've been bitten by the virus or by the whatever the the parasite that takes a lot of my energy um no it's um i've been uh skippering um small sailboat uh 45 feet uh sailboat uh, up to the very north of svalbard i've been in the area of duvefjord which is uh, northeast of norausland and um i was um taking up uh, a group of climatologists from the mainly from the University of Bergen. Oh, so this um, was a scientific uh, journey. It was a scientific expedition. Um, this is a group that I've been uh, skippering for um, a couple of years ago. In 2014, I I took them around already uh, with another ship, a slightly larger sailboat. And uh, they uh, really wanted me to take them up to this very challenging fjord called Duvefjord. And, um, well, what is challenging about it? 
it's challenging reaching it. For the first, uh, about um, until the middle of August, it was uh, ice-locked. So we couldn't get in there if we had... So ice-lock the, means there's ice on the water that doesn't permit you to get through. Yeah, the polar ice was pressing on Norausland until... Uh, the north coast of Norausland until the middle of August. And uh, then, uh, like by magic, of course, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, it, it, <laughs> it, became, it opened up when we had to go. So it was a good timing because, of course, when you book for a, when you charter a, a ship, you, uh, you are bound to the dates that you charter for. Mm-hmm. And it was a good bet because we managed to reach Dugafjord. It only took uh, 45 hours from uh, sailing from Longyearbyen up there. In one go, and, no, uh, you took yeah. you took breaks. Yeah, in no, between. no, in, in one go. Really, in one go. We went up in one go. Yeah, oh. it was uh, it was very uh, it was very um, very it good. Very like, good like navigation. a challenge, but it was a challenge. We got there. We got. Um, um, they wanted to go on land and sample lake sediments. They um, so the group is uh, coming from uh, the, the expedition is organized by the Bjerknes Center for Climate Research at the University of Bergen at the Faculty of Geology. And um, and we also had some uh, prominent uh, scholars. Um, we had uh, uh, Professor Ray uh, Bradley from the University of Massachusetts. Um, that is one of the luminaires of, uh, of climate uh, in the last year, in the past ten thousand years. And um, and they went and uh, sampled lake sediments oh, okay. because. Uh, uh, looking at the lake sediments, you can reconstruct very precisely the uh, uh, advance and retreat of the ice and the uh, and the small climate fluctuations in the in the past ten thousand years. And the Arctic, yeah. uh, especially around Svalbard, is a good place that preserves that, I, I guess. Especially, it is a place that um, during the last glaciation was covered with ice. So. And the and the advance of the glaciers have uh, scraped clean uh, the bedrock from the sediments. And, uh, and so, like, we have a, like a clean slate for the past years since the ice retreated. Um, for the past, uh, yeah, 10,000 years is not just the past couple of years. Well, and, in, uh, in geological terms, it's a very short time frame. <laughs> exactly. And, uh, and, uh, you have, uh, very little turbation of the, uh, of the sediments. Oh, I see. Because, uh, there is very little life. If you are sampling in a, in an area where you have a lot of, uh, a lot of animals, for example, in the water, a lot of worms and uh, mussels that can move the sediment around, then you have confused uh, sediments. Mm-hmm. And, um, and in, in, the, in the Arctic, yeah, in the Antarctic as well, when you can, or the sub-Antarctic, when you find these, uh, these situations, then you can really look at the, at the, at the pure record, just the, <laughs> the climatic record, as pure as you can get. And uh, and that is very important for them. So we sampled that fjord. We got also a couple of really bad storms uh, where we were uh, really worried about, for example, one point two if the anchor would hold. <laughs> oh, really? The, so you had to because, watch watch overnight. Yeah, we had watches overnight. The engine running and uh, and everything everything went well. And uh, then we sampled a couple of other lakes uh, in more. Uh, in easier places uh, up on the northern coast of Spitsbergen and uh, on the west coast. So when we sailed together, uh, we passed a couple of these uh, locations uh, when we sailed together with an order licked in, uh, in May. So is there, is, is there something, some specific research this is going into or is it something that we will see results from or is it just going into general climate research? No, definitely. They, they Well, they're going to be uh, 
hopefully publishing papers. There is one master thesis, or no, one PhD thesis coming out uh, now, oh, um, soon. And um, then, of course, these are small pieces of the puzzle, so they are going to be specific uh, uh, articles, uh, scientific articles about uh, these specific lakes. And, uh, and, uh, and who knows what they can be used for, because, of course, they're going to be looking at the at the, at the climate record for these areas, but they have to be put into, into a general global context. Sure. So, well, you are the scientists of us too, so I, I guess you will probably keep an eye on this whole thing. I will. Yeah. And, um, and the interesting part, I mean, uh, which brings us to the theme of this, uh, of this, um, uh, podcast today is uh, that, uh, when you come up to so far north, then, uh, you realize that, uh, <laughs> the traditional navigational methods uh, with a compass especially do not work when you are so far up so b before we start that yes. which is which is now but basically after uh let me see after almost 10 minutes it's pretty much the start of the actual episode um but you know when we record these we record them in batches so every time we we start a recording we have to catch up on a lot of things I, mom, our apologies um, I hope it's still interesting. No, um, one thing I wanted to briefly mention, and I'm I'm over this uh, I'm over the sky with it is that um, you guys have come through regarding Mario's microphone fund. You uh, have heard us ramble about this in the last few episodes. Um, we are we are collecting uh, funds for a better microphone that will make things much better and easier on this show and this is still recorded with the old setup but there's a good chance that over the next few weeks we will have everything together um, we are at over 50% of the fund at this point and so keep it coming but we will soon be able to switch uh, to a much better sounding Mario and that would be beneficial for everyone so uh, having that said so navigation yeah, yeah, well, before before we go to navigation, then I would really like to give my thanks to people that already have contributed to the amazing, fund. amazing I mean, listeners. Really, I am uh, I am really overwhelmed by the by the kindness and the and the help that you give us. And then I want to also do uh, thank the uh, the few people that have been contacting me um, uh, after uh, after listening to the podcast. So uh, from uh, a few places around the Arctic and. Uh, I'm also, I'm also very, uh, very grateful that uh, to to receive uh, feedback and, uh, and it's, compliments. It's good to it's good Thank to know that much. there are people out there um, who actually listen to what we're doing here. Yes, <laughs> it's exactly. A great feeling. So if well, you anyway. have if you have any comments, hey, let us know the, on curiouslypolar.com. There is uh, ways to reach us and contact us um so yeah navigation up in the north um i i remember i just take a compass and it points me in the general direction what is different when you go up uh higher north what is different a, a lot of things are different and especially the fact that the, your compass uh, your normal little pocket compass or even even a bigger navigational compass is uh practically useless when you come to the uh, to these areas close to the close to the magnetic pole okay so we have we have a magnetic pole and we have a, ge a geographical pole exactly right? that's, uh, that's what right. i remember from from uh, my school days but that's pretty much the extent <laughs> of it no exactly well um well we we uh we know the uh 
about the the uh, geographical uh, poles, and uh, these are the places where the axis of rotation of the Earth um, cross the surface of the Earth, and uh, so we have uh, we have a pretty pretty good at least intuitive idea of where they uh, they might be. Mm-hmm. But um, the uh, the compass, which is something that even in popular culture tells us where the North is or where the south is. I mean, they can help us where to, to look at the direction of the uh, of uh, we are traveling in, is uh, actually pointing at the uh, magnetic North Pole. And, um, and the magnetic uh, North Pole is connected to the Earth's magnetic field, or the uh, geomagnetic field. And that is something that is not only... It's not something that is in the surface of the Earth. It's something that pervades the Earth interior and the, also the area around the Earth in space. And um, and this is uh, this is actually quite uh, quite an interesting thing because uh, it moves the, uh, the the magnetic field of the Earth uh, is not something static, and it moves quite uh, quite a lot. <laughs> And, uh, how much and this do you is know why, how much it moves over time? Well, well, it depends on the time in the in the geological history. I mean, the in the Earth's history and the and the moment. But uh, we can we can look at, for example, at a at a map uh, of uh, where the where the uh, the uh, magnetic North Pole uh, was, uh, for example, at the beginning of the 1900s, and we are talking about uh, at the south of the. Um, in the south parts of the uh, Canadian archipelago, Arctic archipelago. So we're talking about uh, uh, close to Victoria Island um, in 1904 or something, and it had been there since the early 1800s. And since then, it's uh, moved uh, northwards, and um, it moved uh, all the way. Now we are like in the middle of the... Uh, of the Arctic Ocean, north of the Canadian archipelago, and heading towards the uh, the almost towards the North Pole, the geographic North Pole. So, from a, from a geological point of view, that that, that sounds like a lot of um, deviation within a relatively short time. Uh, yeah, uh, it's it, it moves quite quite clearly, and you can see it if you take an uh, a nautical chart. Uh, you'd have a compass rose rose that will look at the um, the, decline, the the change it will tell you where the geographical north is, and then it will tell you also where the magnetic north is, and how much it would change in uh, for the area that we're covering. So, so small you scale would have to correct are. for that if you use a compass. Exactly. Uh-huh. So we have uh, we have this this sort of uh, this sort of correction that we have to do. Um, interesting enough, um, the uh, magnetic north pole has been. Uh, uh, has been something that people have been trying to localize uh, for centuries. Uh, one of the famous expeditions that was uh, supposed to, among other, among other things, to look at the magnetic North Pole and where it was and follow it, um, is uh, Franklin's expedition t- uh, to the Northwest Passage, the famous expedition with two ships, the Erebus and Terror, that uh, was lost and uh, only of recent... Uh, the two ships, the wrecks of the two ships have been found because the the uh, ships and the crew actually disappeared. 
yeah while uh, while looking for the north uh, the northwest passage and uh, while looking for the magnetic north pole um another thing that uh, we uh, we know about the magnetic north pole is that um, it leaves a trace uh, or the position of the or the uh, magnetic field of the earth leaves a trace in the geological record in and which uh, way? um now if we if you look at um at the formation of new crust in the uh, on the surface of the earth we look for example at the mid-atlantic ridge that's where the uh, the new crust is formed and where the americas are pushed away from europe and africa mm-hmm. um this uh, new crust is formed by uh, uh lava coming up on the surface and uh, stiffening and uh, becoming hard uh, rock basaltic rock and in these rocks we have uh, small minerals that are magnetically sensitive and uh, they will before the uh, the rock solidifies they will orient themselves in the direction of mm. the of the magnetic field at the moment where we are when they are solidifying so when you're taking samples there of the sediment or of the of the rock of the you will you will have to make sure to not only take a sample but to know which way it was oriented if you do this <laughs> then you can see that the magnetic uh, field of the earth has also had some inversions and you can see bands of uh, of rock uh, that are parallel to the to the mid-atlantic ridge that tell you that uh, that tell us that the magnetic north pole sometimes was close to the geographic north pole and sometimes has been going pointing south and this is a record that goes down only to 75 70 65 70 million years because this is the age of the north atlantic but um but uh, we can in any case having since uh, since the era of the dinosaurs we can see that the magnetic poles have switched places you, the, you mean the, you mean that north became south and south became north well magnetically magnetically yes. yeah of course the earth didn't yes. flip around i guess but but the magnetic field completely reversed completely its polarity reversed. and some people are saying that uh, we are very close or like geologically speaking very close to the next wow. flipping what would yeah. that mean well that <laughs> well there is a lot of there are a lot of implications because of course the i have, magnetic I have the field sense this is, is going uh, to turn into a long episode <laughs> Well, we'll try. We'll try to keep it. Uh, to keep it. <laughs> to keep it short. Uh, at least uh, we'll try to to uh, to make it. Uh, maybe maybe we make that part into a second episode. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we should. Ma- we should do this. Okay. Ma- that- magnetic field flipping event is a is a yeah. completely separate episode. Let's talk about compass again, which we came yeah. here, came here for. And we were talking about the navigations uh, close to the um, to the uh, to the polar area, especially to the North Pole, because of course in the South Pole there is a lot of continents, so we are not navigating at sea, at least. Um, we and there are very different demands for shipping. Now we're talking about the Northeast Passage, Northwest Passage, of so ships going back and forth. Well, we we also have to take into consideration that the the point of attraction the 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 magnetic uh, point of attraction for a compass is not on the surface of the earth but is actually inside below the crust i, I remember more... seeing these diagrams where you have a, the, the magnetic field almost like wires going around like a cage that goes around the earth and that points towards the inside of the earth at the higher north you go 
Exactly. It is, uh, it is like this. And you have, uh, you have uh, both a variation in, uh, in the intensity uh, of, the, um, of, the, of the magnetic field around the Earth, and you have a variation of the inclination of the magnetic field. So how much the magnetic field is dipping into the Earth. So th does that mean if surface. I go high enough north, the, the needle of my compass will point downwards? Yes, well, if you are, imagine that we could be right above the magnetic North Pole, then the uh, the needle of, uh, of a compass would uh, aim at going straight down, deep, dipping straight down wow. into the uh, into the Earth, and this is uh, this is something that uh, um, it can be can be measured, uh, even especially when you're farther away, you can have like uh, measure the dip of the of the compass or the dip of the magnetic field. Um, But uh, but if you look at a compass as a mechanical device, and with something with the, with the card of the compass or with the needle of the compass that has to pivot around a, a support, then you you can imagine that there is some friction or some point at which the uh, the friction with the supporting mechanism becomes so great that that it's difficult for the compass to turn around, for example. Right. For the compass rose or for the compass card to turn around, and then it's um, then it becomes uh, becomes useless to try to find out where the north is, and um, and of course we want uh, we want to use for navigation the the surface resulting vector from the um, uh, direction of the magnetic field, um, and and if we dip the main vector down towards the Earth, the resulting surface vector becomes shorter and shorter, so much less precise uh, for, uh, for navigational purposes. So the further away you are from, from the pole, the, the more mm. precision you have. Yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. That's exactly that. Uh, so if you are uh, in the middle of the, uh, of the US, for example, uh, the... Uh, Probably the uh, well. Now I don't have the data for the the magnetic uh, uh, declination uh, at that at that point at those points there, but it's probably not going to be very very large. Mm. So uh, so you can use a magnetic compass for finding the true north, but if you are uh, in Europe, then you have to correct a little bit more. Hmm. And this correction from Europe is reaching zero in, in a few years. It will be almost zero. Um, so, so that uh, because of the migration of the magnetic field, the changing of the magnetic field. Wow. So the, the compass, but, but still the compass is an important thing to help you navigate and it's probably been around forever. The uh, the compass, yes. The, the compass is a, not a, a very recent invention. Uh, already, uh, the Chinese were were having uh, were using uh, compasses. Uh, there are some uh, um, how do you call it? Some uh, some records that the in the Han Dynasty in around 200 before the current year, uh, they had um, already some uh, bowls of water with a floater and a magnetic needle a magnetic object on top of it we did this in indicate. kindergarten 
We did yeah. this in kindergarten with a needle on a on a on a disc of cork on a water surface. Yes, exactly. But uh, but the use of a compass for navigation is uh, recorded uh, in in Europe around the thirteenth thirteenth century. Uh, that's not before that time that we can get uh, the the real objects, the compass for for navigational purposes. And um, and this is this has been the uh, the main uh, instrument uh, for for navigating, for uh, finding uh, where to go in uh, in the trade routes in the Mediterranean, and then the exploration of of the oceans, the world oceans, by the uh, by the Europeans, at least from the uh, explorations towards the Americas, and then uh, finding the route to the Indies. But. Uh, but uh, when I talk about the Europeans, we also have to consider that uh, not all European navigators were using compasses uh, in this way, because uh, there were there are areas, and we're talking about the populations that were living in the north, so the Vikings, um, they would probably have known about the magnetic compass because of their travels and their, um, and their expeditions. I mean, the Vikings have been around, uh, at least as far as the Mediterranean, so they would uh, they would have known about this this object, uh, this magnetic object, but uh, they would have not been able to use it up in the in the North Atlantic. And so they use uh, a different, uh, probably different way of navigating. And um, and the one thing that is very interesting is that they use the um, they use the sun probably to navigate, and um, they use a kind of a sundial. Oh, so so um, it's it's not the, well. The thing that I know is you have a you have a, a you use the stars for navigation, um, but using the sun, I mean, well, yeah, pro probably well, going to work too. Well, it definitely does because uh, it is uh, it is not uh, uh, something that is a uh, uncommon for <laughs> uncommon knowledge. I mean, it is quite common knowledge that if you have uh, if you have uh, if you look at the shadow. That is uh, projected by a by a vertical object any place around the world. Then you can look at the at the at the way the the shadow changes throughout the day, uh, mm -hmm. the shadow of the sun, and uh, and you can see that uh, uh, you can determine, for example, in a sundial, that when the shadow is shortest, you are having the shadow pointing. The geographical north of the position where you have the uh, this vertical object. That so, for example, if you have an if you have an obelisk, uh, you can measure very clearly the shadow of this obelisk and the length of the shadow, mm. and uh, you can trace this thing on the ground and um, this the the path of the shadow on the ground for day after day, and. Uh, well, in 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 any day, the position where the shadow is shortest then indicates. Uh, the uh, the direction of the geographical north. That sounds logical. Yeah, yeah. Thinking about and, it, and, yeah. And in most uh, in most sundials, especially the ones that are flat on the on the uh, on the surface, so they are horizontal. When the dial is horizontal, you have um, the indication of where the north is. Uh, and then there are corrections, of course, because now we are using uh, we are using time zones. So we don't we don't use the local uh, noon to indicate noon, but we use uh, we use the uh, the convention that in a wide span of uh, of uh, 
of longitudes we use the same time so they uh, in more modern sundials then you would have uh, like a, a correction for that uh, for the fact that uh, we are using a standard time but the uh, but the vikings um apparently they probably used uh, the sun for uh, for navigating also because the stars are not uh, are not visible during the arctic summer and uh, so they would uh, they would have to rely on the sun and uh, and this comes from a from a found that uh, uh, of a of a kind of a, a fragment of wood um there was uh, uh, discovered under the ruins of a convent in, in Greenland. And uh, this is a find from 1948. And it's a small wooden disc uh, around 7 centimeters in diameter. And it's only half of it that we have. And it looks, it's scratched, and uh, it looks like it, it could be used as the base for a kind of a sundial. So uh, this disc would have a, would have had originally a peg going through it perpendicular to the surface of the disc, and uh, the peg would uh, indicate where the position of the sun would be. And uh, there are different theories about how it would it could be used, but one way of doing this is that if you know the uh, the time of the day, then you can check where the north is. Uh, as soon as you have a, as soon as you have the shadow uh, casting uh, uh, the the peg casting a shadow on the on this uh, circumference of the disc, and here we come to the uh, to the next uh, interesting thing is that of course not every day, especially people that have been up in the in the uh, in the North Atlantic, they know that not every day you can see the sun, and um, because there are clouds. Uh, or there can be fog, and uh, the conditions may be not uh, fit for for looking at the sun mm -hmm. any time of the day. But if you uh, if you use something that is called a sunstone, um, or what the Vikings call a sunstone, so it's a crystal of uh, calcite, so calcium carbonate. Uh, there is a special form of calcium carbonate that is uh, very transparent, but it, it acts as a polarizer. Uh, a little bit like Polaroid glasses, oh, and uh, a, a, a naturally occurring stone that polarizes light. That polarizes the light, and it's placed in the the crystals are usually placed in such a way that you can, uh, hi, let's say that you can you can uh, determine where the direction of the sun is very precisely, even if you don't even if you don't see it, because you can see where the light is coming from even as if you a, don't see the source of the light as a photographer i know perfectly exactly what you're talking about it's exactly. probably going to be a bit harder to understand for non-photographers but um pretty much that thing can yeah depending on how it it changes the light can tell you which direction the sun is that's true yes and this is also something that biologic biologists might be uh, knowing about because it's the um it's the way mm, some insects like bees see the light mm -hmm. and they have some uh, some polarizing crystals in the in their in their eyes that uh, allow them to uh, to see where the light is and uh, for people that have uh, uh, a little bit of interest in bees they probably uh, know that uh, the bees go and explore the uh, territory around their their hive and come back and and report where they found some pollen 
or some source of, uh, of food. And um, they show the other bees where the direction of the of the uh, of the source of food is by by dancing, by doing some sign of circular dance. And um, and the other bees would know exactly what the direction is, but then they would be able also to follow that direction in spite of the sun not being clearly visible uh, because of clouds, for example, or fog by using the same method, by using this uh, effect of uh, polarized light or the, the possibility of looking where the light is coming from by uh, using a polarizing filter that is built in, into their eyes. And this is one way, uh, one way the, uh, the Vikings uh, might have been using this, uh, this instrument. And uh, we have no record of, of how the instrument was actually used, but uh, we know that they could find their way and um and another way uh, that uh, you can uh, that you can use this instrument for is that uh, you can uh, uh keep uh, you can know if you are changing your uh, latitude so if you are if you're moving north or south because uh for every day if you move northwards the uh, uh the uh, the shadow given by the gnomon so the uh, the peg in the center of the of the sundial uh, becomes longer if you are further north and shorter if you're further south because the sun is higher on the horizon further south so uh, you could actually measure the length of the shadow and know that if for every day uh, the shadow doesn't vary a lot then you are on the right course. Of course, the sun changes in height according to the, the cycle of the seasons. So you have to take care of that. But if you know how the sun changes in height for the same latitude in the different seasons or the different days of the year, then you can keep the same latitude. And this means that if you are leaving on, a, on the same latitude from Europe, then you can reach the same latitude, for example, in Greenland or Iceland or other places around and uh, without having a compass. That, and is, interesting that enough, is pretty cool, um, in quotes, early technology, yeah. Yes, especially uh, for uh, uh, when, you, when you do not have uh, a means of knowing where the, uh, when the, uh, uh, what time exactly you are observing the sun, because uh, Vikings didn't have uh, very precise timekeeping devices, and in any case, the, the chronometers that... Uh, that uh, allow for determination of or keeping the precise time are a relatively recent invention. Um, we might want to have a, another episode about this, about uh, longitude and uh, how to determine the longitude. But, uh, but you can, uh, with a sundial, determine the local noon, the direction of the, of the north, of the geographical north at the local noon, um, and you can actually have a pretty good idea of whether you are further north or further south of where you expect it to be. Wow. So you don't need the magnetic compass at all? Well, well you if, need, if you, you need you a certain can, precision. Um, yes. Yeah. A, a magnetic compass, if, you are, if you're traveling in uh, like reasonable uh, latitudes, a magnetic compass is, is a very nice instrument in the sense that it's uh, instantaneously tells you what the sun yeah, is true. <laughs> uh, where the where the north is but uh, the uh, if you don't have that then you can at least with uh, at, at low speed as a ship would would sail 
you can have a pretty good idea of where uh, the direction is. Mm-hmm. But of course, this has now kind of, um, in, in modern times, it has kind of changed a bit when you, when you um, were up in Svalbard just recently with a ship, um, you were, I suppose, not use you you uh, supposedly not used a magnetic compass at all you probably used something no. entirely different no i was not using a magnetic compass and i was actually using uh because we are navigating so we are moving i was using the uh, gps uh, um, to determine the direction of travel right um but uh, the problem with the gps at least with the small uh, gps uh, handheld gps units is that you only have a direction of travel if you're moving and not if you are standing still. So, um, so you, you will know where you are, but you do not know which direction you're pointing as long as you don't move. As long as you don't move, you don't do, you don't have that. Of course, with the GPS, you have a, a very precise timekeeping as well. So you would be able to look at where the sun is and determine the directions of the sun, uh, compared to where it's supposed to be. <laughs> so if you, uh, um, you can have an idea of where the directions are by making some calculations. There are some, some more precise, uh, instruments that are GPS based. They are GPS based compass that uh, use a series of antennas, at least two, uh, most of them three antennas that, uh, look at the relative positions of the three antennas very close to each other, about uh, 20, 30 centimeters away from each other. And, uh, and would that be able to then to tell you how the, uh, for example, the ship is oriented or well, how the antenna is oriented. If the antenna is uh, connected to the ship, of course, you have the ship's heading, um, even if the ship is not moving. Uh, but this is, uh, this is something that, uh, for a small expeditions like I was uh, leading is not a problem because, uh, as long as I knew where I was and, uh, and, uh, as long as, uh, I knew where I was heading to when I was moving, then there was no problem. Now, one, one last question about magnetic north. Um, the magnetic north pole, as you said, when you, when you are there on the magnetic north pole, your compass needle will point straight down into the earth. Um, you would do that, yes. How precisely can we measure the magnetic north? Is that something that with today's measuring precision can be narrowed down to a few square kilometers or is it a point somewhere exactly? How precise are those measurements? Do you know that? Well, you can, you can pinpoint uh, the uh, directions of the, like quite pretty precisely the, uh, the, the source of the, of the uh, magnetic field of the earth but uh, or the the north pole the magnetic north pole but it's not a it's not a, a geometrical point so it, it has uh, some dimensions mm-hmm. so i'm not very much into into this sort of uh, measures i mean yeah i, I came out of left field with this question i apologize <laughs> but uh, no 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 it's it's no it's it's actually quite quite interesting um you would not use a compass to right. determine where the magnetic field is going, you would use a magnetometer. And, um, and magnetometers uh, nowadays are solid state uh, electronic components. We have them all into our own uh, phones. This is why you can have apps that, that tell you uh, the compass direction. And, uh, and there are some apps that give you, uh, I have one in my phone that tells me exactly where the, uh, the, the components of the magnetic field uh, are the place where I'm located. 
So uh, the, the the strength of the magnetic field. Now I can turn on this uh, this app. Now the one that I'm using is called uh, um, uh, how do you call it? Uh, GPS status. But there are several ones, and it tells me that the magnetic field here where I am is a point in Tromso is pointing uh, down. Uh, well, eight degrees. Wow! And uh, it's at. Uh, it's more than I thought. Yeah, it's about uh, fifty micro tesla, which is the unit for the magnetic the field. Mm, for the strength of the magnetic field. Hmm. So there are uh, there are quite interesting applications that you can you can toy around with the with your with your phone. Well, and just before uh, before we. Uh, we round out, we round off this, this episode, but um, there are other ways of determining where the north is, but this is not connected to the magnetic field. And we talked about the sundial of the Vikings, but uh, between the uh, uh, advanced compasses that we're using nowadays and the GPS or any form of uh, navigation, we have, uh, uh, with, with the GPS, we have uh, the gyro compass. And, uh, and the gyro compass has been used before the, the invention of the GPS system um, in order to determine uh, the uh, magnetic uh, or the direction of the north uh, on uh, on ships and aircraft. And uh, and ships, I, I I'm quite sure that ships have to like large ships have to have gyro compass on board if they navigate in in polar areas in Arctic and Antarctic areas. And this is actually a flywheel, and uh, that is uh, orienting itself, or is calibrated to every now and then to be oriented towards the uh, North Pole or the South Pole in the axis of the North uh, uh, and South Pole. And um, and the wheel is kept uh, moving. The flywheel is kept moving by uh, an engine. I think it has it needs electricity, of course, uh, constantly, and. Um, and it will keep its direction. If you take a, a bicycle wheel uh, into your hands and you uh, and you uh, and you make it uh, roll and you make it uh, revolve uh, fast, then you you can realize you, you actually can see that uh, I can feel on your hand in your hands in your outstretched arms that it's difficult to, right? to move. It wants to stay in this it's, direction. Th that's one of the reasons why we don't fall over when we ride a bicycle, and uh, why this is also that. Yes, why why a spinning top will just keep spinning and not fall down for a long time. Yes, and you can also like nowadays. I, I, can, I can see my son uh, wanted absolutely to have one of these finger spinners. Uh, uh, a fidget spinner. A fidget spinners. Yes, it's called a fidget spinners. And so he got this fidget spinner, and if you if you take one of these you can actually experience what the what a what a flywheel what the effect of a flywheel yeah. or a gyroscope is um, is uh, is uh, on uh, on the uh, like w what kind of force it has to to stay in the same direction you know what these these kind of uh, gyroscopic um, stabilizers are also sometimes used in photography where you you can actually buy these things there are like three different weights spinning at three different orientations and uh, yes. you attach them to the bottom of your camera, quite heavy. But then, if you, if you, for example, want to shoot video from a helicopter, which is very, which vibrates a lot, they add so much stability that it is 
um, that it is hard to get the camera to shake in this in this context. Yes. So even there, there's an application for for gyroscopic stabilization. Yeah, gyroscope. I mean, the this gyroscopic stabilization is is great. I heard uh, the first time about this uh, about these cameras. Now I'm not in the I'm not a photographer, as you all know, <laughs> but um, in uh, 2007. Uh, I've had uh, a contact at a conference on marine mammals with uh, people from the from the BBC wildlife mm -hmm. uh, unit, and they probably use these things. And they were showing this uh, very advanced, high definition camera that they were using on helicopters, and they had a little video of it. It was gyroscopically stabilized with a lot of uh, like other vibration reducing uh, uh, mechanism, and they could be on a helicopter above. A uh, emperor penguin colony, uh, which you have to be very high above because there are some regulations about uh, about this. But you could zoom in and look at the at the eye of the penguins, and down. it was perfectly stable. And it was perfectly stable, <laughs> really great uh, for for taking wildlife shots. But of course, at that time, at least, it was uh, prohibitive. I mean, only large uh, investments uh, like the they have very expensive could, technology could, yeah, yeah. could be do this. But I can see now that there are like uh, harnesses that you can have on your shoulders and uh, and hold your cameras uh, like on a kind of a, a fishing rod in front of you <laughs> and uh, and take pictures, uh, very stable pictures, also like uh, like in a in a handheld situation with using gyroscopes. Anyway, before we get too far into that, <laughs> let's wrap up this episode and uh, thank everyone for, for being here, for listening and for subscribing. If you're not subscribed, you can find Curiously Polar wherever you find your other podcasts. Just click on the subscribe thing and you will not miss any future episodes. Uh, we have a few more episodes on our plate, including now the one about the big magnetic flip what does that mean when the magnetic field of the Earth flips around? And again, uh, the, the microphone fund is still open if you want to help us uh, make Mario sound uh, better than ever before. Go to CuriouslyPolar.com and there's a link to that fund. That, uh, we appreciate your help in that. All right, that was it. Until next week. Mario, stay cool. Stay cool, Chris. Thank you very much. Thank you very much.